And the promise that we have as Christians, it's not, a, it's not an earthly promise. It's not a, a shaky promise. It's a sure promise because it's a heavenly promise. It's a sure promise because the one who gave it is true. Because the one who gave it gave it all, gave it all to give it. Because the blood of Christ was shed for it. And it's the promise of eternity in heaven. Um, and when Manny had asked me if I would, if I would share today, um, you know, I immediately started um, thinking and asking the Lord, what do I share on God? You know, and, and he brought me to, uh, to this uh, passage in Second Corinthians. And uh, I started studying. But today when I realized what I was studying, and I, I thought of eternity, and I thought, oh, wait, you're way, way over your head. <laughs> you know, I'm definitely not qualified to be up here. There's nobody that's qualified to be up here. But today, as we talk about eternity, I think we're definitely just going to skim the surface. Um, but, you know, we all know the, the, the passage in John 3.16 where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And, you know, when I think of my life, from, from being on that road to damnation um, because of my sinful nature and the decisions that I made due to my sinful nature, to now think of the promise of living forever in heaven with God is just incredible. Why? Because Christ paid the price for my sin. He paid the, the, the price for all of our sin. It's, it's unconceivable, really, when you think about what God has done for us. Now, there's a song, I'm sure some of you are familiar, by Aaron Schuess that says that he would leave his place on high and come for sinful man to die. You count it strange, so once did I before I met my Savior. And, you know, I once counted it strange, this whole Christianity thing. And, and now while I still don't understand his grace or even begin to, to, to think about the fact that I understand his grace, I believe it. You know, and I'm sure you as believers, if you are a believer, you believe it as well. So hopefully today through this passage, we're going we're gonna to see an, an awesome example uh, in Paul the Apostle for us on, on what our view should be of eternity of life and of death, how we should live our life in light of eternity, how as Christians we should serve God in spite of the, the decay of this world, and, and we're going to see the decay of our physical bodies because of this heavenly promise called eternity. Because if anyone has ever felt tribulation, if anyone has ever felt challenged by his circumstances, if anyone has ever felt guilt, or if anyone has ever felt betrayed, I assume due to the abuse that he took to his own body, it would be the Apostle Paul. Now, in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, Paul tells the church in Corinth, and I believe he's telling the church today here in Almani, that even though we're hard-pressed or, or perplexed, which is not knowing what to do, even though we're sometimes persecuted or ridiculed by the world, that we're not crushed, that even though we can sometimes be in despair, we're not forsaken. Even though we sometimes are struck down, we're not destroyed. Why? Because we have the promise of eternity. Paul tells the church, look, we've been blessed with this incredible ministry of salvation, of eternity with God. Let's not hang our heads. Because, because of the promise of eternity with God, we can be lights in spite of the darkness around us. We can shine as a light for all to see. And God willing for all to follow God as we're following God. But why could Paul say this? Because he believed with all his heart that he who raises Lord Jesus Christ from the dead would also raise him. And he will also raise us one day. 
Paul knew that our Christian faith was largely based on the resurrection from the dead. So much so that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 13 through 18, he said this. He said, but if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. In verse 17 he says, And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. The Christian faith would not be the Christian faith if it weren't for the resurrection of the dead. It just wouldn't. Later in that same chapter, chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, verse 32, Paul said, If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Basically what he was saying is if the dead do not rise, then there's no point to this faith. There's no point to coming to church on a Thursday or on a Sunday or reading your Bible every day. Because what's next? Death, right? And there's, there's no hope after that. But Paul knew better, and it's because of this faith, this faith in the promise of eternity that he wrote in chapter 4 uh, of Second Corinthians, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Renewed for what? Renewed for eternity. Eternity in heaven is that hope that keeps us going when these bodies start letting us down. And you know what? I can testify to the fact that our outward man is perishing because, um, as many of you know, I, I was privileged to, to be able to go to Cambodia. And while driving in the back of a bed of a truck, only in Cambodia, okay, it's legal over there in Cambodia. Don't think I'm breaking the law or anything. If it's legal for five people to be on a scooter with a baby in the front, it's legal for a guy like me to be in the back of a, of a truck bed. Anyways, we're out there uh, up in the, in, the, in the rock coral um, looking for a, a location to, to dig a well. And so, uh, you know, I jumped in the back of the truck and some youngsters with me, Isaiah, Randy, and, and David. And we got to the location. And, and don't think this is like studied, you know, where to dig a well. You know, they, they, they looked at the soil and they said, this is a perfect place. They just said, where should we dig a, a well? Up there. All right, let's go. That was it. Okay. So we get up to this, this place and um, I see Isaiah and I see Randy and I see David jump off the, the back of the truck, you know. And so my brain tells me, go ahead, do it, you know. And so I listened to my brain, and, and, and right when I jumped, my body said, wait. And it said, wait, because I landed on a slope, and uh, my knees, my knees, they just, they locked, you know. And um, my posterior went backwards, and I landed on a, on, a, on a rock, basically, you know. And so my tailbone has been bruised ever since. And 18 hours of flying is not conducive, let me tell you, for a bruised uh, tailbone. Just, just to give you a... a a tip there. What's my point? My point is that my body, this tent, um, it, it's failing me. You know, just as many of your bodies are failing you. Some of you are dealing with aches and pains. Some of you might be dealing with handicaps. Some of you might have cancer. Some with, with heart problems. You name it. But our, our, our bodies are backsliding. You know, I heard a, a teaching by a, a pastor um, by the name of Ray Stedman who said that here on earth we can say that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And it's true, right? How many of us want to do things for the Lord, but just our bodies can't do it? You know? But he says that, that when we get to eternity, um, the heavenly body is actually going to catch up to the spirit. 
And so therefore, um, the body's no longer going to be an obstacle to the spirit. We're going to be able to do the things that we want to do that our spirit says do. Because we're not going to have those things that hold us back here on earth. And when I jumped off the back of the truck, what basically what happened is what is that my brain wrote a check that my body couldn't cash anymore, you know? Back in my younger years, lighter days, you know, I could do those things, you know, no problem. In fact, I would have fallen, I would have just got back, dusted myself off, and, and been on my way. But it ain't like that anymore. You know, I'm still I'm still hurting. I'm driving with like one of those pillows and stuff. If you see me and I look taller, it's because I got a pillow underneath, all right? But, you know, while we're in, in, in these bodies... And don't get me wrong. I, I don't mean anything wrong about being in these bodies. We're blessed. We can walk. Um, God has given us the ability to function, to, to, to work. Um, but some of us, some of our bodies are, are failing us, right? They're falling apart. But again, it's because of eternity that, that Paul told the church in 2 Corinthians um, chapter 4, 17 through 18 again, when he said, for our, our light affliction, which is is but for a moment is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen, they're eternal. And I could only imagine, because I only have a bruised tailbone, right, that it's hard when you're going through something like this to call the affliction light. I could only imagine that, that when you have a, a constant pain, um, when you have a cancer growing within your body, when you have a feeble heart, to call it light. But when you look at it in light of eternity, anything that we go through in this life really is light, right? Because we're going to live with God forever. It says it's a temporary thing, something that is working a far exceeding eternal weight and glory. We can begin to envision what Paul is saying in that verse. It says things that are seen are temporary, but those that are not seen are eternal. An old Indian proverb says, life is a bridge. We use it to cross over to the other side, not to build a home on it. And it's true, you know. We're but pilgrims just passing through this earth. So after all that said, let's get into our, our main text. Um, we're going to be covering Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5. And the reason why I think the Lord led me to, to cover Second Corinthians chapter 5 is because in the men's study, we're going through that. We're going through Second Corinthians. And since I have the uh, pulpit, I do want to encourage all the guys here that if you're not coming to the men's study and you can, come. You know, it's a blessing. It truly is. Ask any of the guys that are here regularly. It's a blessing to be able to get together as men, to pray for each other, to encourage each other. It's, it's a blessing to be able to see that the struggles that, that some of us have, others have, and that we could pray for each other. We could keep each other accountable. So I encourage you, come Wednesday, 7 p.m. There, there's my plug. But, so God led me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And again, Paul, in the end of chapter 4, had just encouraged the church to hold on. That in light of, of danger, in light of pain, and even death, we, we have hope. We have hope because we have the hope of eternity. The hope of a new body in eternity. And so let's, re, let's uh, begin reading in chapter 5. Verse 1 says, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. The NIV um, says, Now we know that if this earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Now, the earthly tent Paul is referring to, it's not the physical tent that 
we live in, such as our homes or this building. And when he says earthly tent, he's not talking about this earth. Paul's talking about our bodies. He's saying we know that if our physical bodies are destroyed, we have a body from God being prepared for right now. An eternal heavenly body that will live forever. Not built with human hands, but built by the, by, the, by the very hands, the supernatural hands of God. The tent Paul describes refers to a temporary residence, right? A tabernacle, a booth. Paul uses it to refer to the human body as a dwelling place while this soul is here on earth. And we're more than just bodies, right? I mean, every single one of us has a soul. But do you know where your soul is? I know where mine is in the bottom of my feet. But do you know where your soul is? No, I'm just kidding. We all have a soul. We don't know where it's at, but it's in me, right? We're more than just bodies. But let's face it. We don't like to talk about it, but we're all going to die. Every single one of us, unless we're raptured, we're all going to face death. Every one of us here. We have to. That's the only way that we could enter into eternity, right? Death. It's a portal that will take us to a better place. So it's safe to say that unless the Lord comes, and, and for some of us, comes quick, these tents are going to be destroyed. Death, again, is a threshold that for Christians produces much more. In the Gospel of John, verse 12, 24, Jesus says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it produces much grain. It goes on to say in verse 25 of John that he who gives his life fully to God will keep it for eternity. And that's the only way that I think that we can face death, guys. With, with any peace, right? Only if we have the assurance of what will take place after we die, after we're gone. And we can't escape death. I don't know about you, but, you know, ever since I could remember, I thought about death. You know, ever since I was a little kid, I used to think about death. It's that mystery, you know, that, that, that as soon as you can think, you start thinking, well, what happens if I die, you know? I remember being a little kid and being around, like, you know, adults, in the house and they're talking about death and things like that and I would hate it. You know, I would leave or I would close my ears. I didn't want to think about that. And, you know, sadly, too many of us now as adults are the same way. We don't want to face death. There's all kinds of different beliefs, all kinds of different beliefs out there. Some believe that our bodies just go to the grave and it's over, right? So they live their life how they want to live it because after all, what's next? Death. So, que sera, sera. Live it. Live it up. Others, such as the country of Cambodia believe that life is just a revolving door that you get to live life over and over and over again and your new life is dependent on how your on your on your past lives were but the Bible says that man is appointed to die once right in Hebrews 9 23 and then face judgment you know while our physical bodies will one day face death our souls will live on for eternity either an eternity in damnation where your soul is tortured and is forever separated from God that's for the non-believer or an eternity in heaven where your soul lives forever with God in heaven. Daniel 12.2 um, says, And many of those who sleep in the dust of earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. We have that choice. Today we have that choice. As I pan around the room, I see a lot of you, and I know that most of you are Christians. But there's some faces that I don't recognize, and truly I don't know your heart. Only God and you know your heart. So if you haven't made that decision, here it is. It says, many of those who sleep in the dust of earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to everlasting contempt. It's our choice. God never sends anyone to hell. We do. 
But the only way to know where eternity, where, where our souls are going to be when we die, is through a saving relationship through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, right? It's only after having this relationship with God, with Jesus, that we can confidently say to death, where is your sting? That's found in 1 Corinthians 15:55. And Job, Job, who we all know, knows a little bit about our, our tent being destroyed, uh, said in Job 19, 25-27, For I know that my Redeemer lives, this is a beautiful passage, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, how my heart yearns within me. Job had it right, guys. And you notice that he doesn't say, if my skin is destroyed. He said, after my skin is destroyed, I shall see God. Before anything born is born again, it first must die. That's just the nature of it. A Puritan teacher by the name of Richard Baxter was quoted as saying, each one of us has been given two dates and one dash in the middle. That's true. We all have a day that we're born, and God knows the day that we will die. Now, we know this not because we're smart, but because the Bible says that we have the Holy Spirit indwelling with us, in us. And it's because God is dwelling in us that we can understand what his word is telling us, what it's saying. Other than that, it says a natural man cannot understand the word of God, right? And as believers, we know that there's something better than this life, right? A life in heaven with God for eternity. That's why the apostle uh, Paul said it, uh, said it in Philippians 1, 21 through 24. For me, to live is, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Verse 24, nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Paul knew. Paul knew that it was better up there than it is down here. But he also knew that he had a work to do, right? He also knew that God uh, wanted him to fulfill his legacy. He also knew that God wanted to be glorified through, through, through him, through his life. And so he said, it's not my time yet. Verse 2 says in our text, For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. Now the Greek word for, for, the, for the word groan defines it as a sigh or a murmur. Vines defines it as an inward, unexpressed feeling of sorrow. And why do we groan? Because we're frustrated, right? We're frustrated with these raggedy tents that we wear. That's why we groan. Be honest with yourself. Do you ever groan when you wake up in the morning getting out of bed? We all do, right? At least those of us that are on this side of 40, we groan. Because these tents don't work like they used to, right? There are holes everywhere. It just doesn't stand like it used to. It sags. The color's wearing out. We're falling apart. And so through our tents, our bodies, we begin to see our mortality. We begin to recognize our decline. That's why it's sometimes it's hard for a, for a youngster, for a younger person to understand this because, again, those of you who are on this side of 40, remember, when you were younger, you thought you were indestructible, right? But we soon found out that we're not. Isn't that true? I have an amen? All right. But the Bible in Ecclesiastes 3.11 tells us that God has put eternity in our hearts. 
and now through our Lord Jesus Christ and the work on the cross, it's finally accessible, that eternity that we've been born with. So we groan earnestly, which means with sincerity, with the sense of importance, with seriousness, desiring to be clothed with our real habitation from heaven, which is eternity. Verse 3 says, If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. And what this means is that we will indeed get a body. When we die, our spirit won't just be out there, you know, in the sky like the movies or the cartoons depict ghosts. In fact, if you have a New Living Translation, I believe it's clearer on the meaning. It says, For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. That's what it means. Verse 4 says, For we who are in this tent grown, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. You know, since we're on the topic of tents, a little bit, uh, about a year ago, we, we, uh, we, went fa- we went camping with some friends. And when we got to our campsite, you know, you did the logical thing. You started to pitch your tent, right? But I didn't lay down any concrete when I was pitching my tent. I didn't, you know, bust out the nails or, you know, took the drywall out of the truck or anything like that. I just simply pitched my tent. In fact, I didn't even want to hit the nails too deep into the ground because I'm lazy. I knew that I'd have to take it out later, you know. It would be difficult for me. And it was nice camping. I mean, don't get me wrong. To be camping, you know, up, up in the high Sierras, to hear the birds, you know, to smell the clean air was beautiful. But I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, I could not wait to get back into my comfortable bed, you know, in my warm blankets, and that's what Paul is saying here, you know. That's what he's saying. That's in, that's in essence what Paul is saying. When he says, in this tent we groan, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed. The New Living Translation puts it this way. It says, while we live in this earthly body, we groan inside. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. And I really love this verse. This is really what, what drew me to, to this passage. Because, you know, in a group of Christians, an unbeliever or perhaps a young Christian or, or even maybe an unnourished Christian can hear some of us talk about death as a good thing, right? As a, as a portal uh, to something better, which for, for us as believers it really is. It really is that door that will take us to eternity, to somewhat better. But I think that that this group, this group of unbelievers or young Christians or unnourished Christians could come away with the idea that we're fatalistic or suicidal or morbid people, right? You're always talking about the end of the world, Henry, or about death and stuff. You know, get get over it. You know, live life. But you see, that's just it. We want to live, and that's what Paul is saying. This passage explains our position as Christians so good because we groan for heaven, not because we don't want to live, but because we know that in eternity when we get our glorified bodies, when we're in the presence of God, when we're next to Jesus, is when we're really going to be living, right? And heaven is when this raggedy tent of sin, of anguish, of pain will be taken off and, and our real glorious clothing will be worn. Finally, this sinful, wicked, dying nature will be swallowed up by the real life God intended us to have from the beginning, eternal life. In verse 5 of our text, it says, Now he who has prepared for us this very thing is God, who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. And it's just so awesome, guys, because we talked about the fact that this promise was not earthly, right? It wasn't shaky. It was true. It's heavenly. 
prepared, as this verse tells us, by the very hands of God. What a selling point, huh? Prepared by God. We know that God is unchangeable. Therefore, his promises are unchangeable and true. And it's, it's, it's amazing that this verse, in a sense, is telling us that, that God has to convince us that he's given us the Spirit as a guarantee. In the King James Version, it's the word earnest, which if you look it up, means a down payment. And I just thought, man, that's incredible. Can you believe that? Would you charge God a down payment? You know, I mean, if, if you could, okay, be honest. You said, okay, God, you've given me eternal life, but just in case, can you give me a down payment just to be sure? I don't think we'd ever do that, right? But in essence, that's what God wants us to have. He knows that we're going to go through life. He knows that we're going to hit those bumps. He knows that these, these bodies are decaying. He knows that we're going to have doubt, right? What's that passage that says, you know, Lord, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. We all have that. We all do. So he knows. So what does he do? He gives us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee, as a down payment. Another meaning for it is an engagement ring, which fits, right? Because we're the bride of Christ, so he's given us an engagement ring until he comes back for us. God is so good. And he knows that in life sometimes we need assurances. So he gives us him. He's given us the assurance of his love by dwelling in us as a guarantee. It's, it's amazing. The third person of the Trinity living in us. So because we have the Spirit of God as a guarantee, verse 6 tells us that we're always confident knowing that while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. And you see that? He says it says that we're always confident. Not when things are going the way we want them or when our employment is solid or just when our health is where it should be. This is always. The New American Standard Bible says, Therefore, being always of good courage, we should never lose our confidence. The word always means at all times. Knowing that we were in, in, in the in home, in this earthly tent, we're absent from the Lord. You know, the confident comes from two words, while we. Because we know that's a temporary state, right? While we. One day we're going to be present with the Lord. Why? Because verse 7 tells us, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We talked about it earlier. Those things that, that are, are seen are temporary, but the things that are not seen are eternal. Second Corinthians 4.18 so by faith, verse eight, verse 8 says we are confident, yes, well, please, rather to be absent from the body than to be present with the Lord. The NIV translate, translate verse 8 like this, we are confident, I say, I would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. The New Living Translation puts it this way, it says we are fully confident and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies for then we will be at home with the Lord. It's because of these awesome promises of eternity with God, the promise of, of living with him forever, the promise of the, fact, of the fact that we have a body waiting for us, not made by man, but, but made by the very hands of God, that we can confidently say that we would rather be away from this body because we would be with, with the Lord at home. But until we're out of these earthly tents, we have work to do, right? Otherwise, like Richard likes to, likes to say, we would have already been taken home, right? You know, if, if it was all about accepting the Lord the day that we asked Christ into our hearts, we would have been gone. But God has a work for us, for every single body in here. 
whether it be your family, whether it be your ministry, whether it be your workplace. He has a work for you. He wants to be glorified through you. And the sooner that we, we, we accept that, the sooner that God is glorified through our lives. Guys, if you knew my testimony, to, to, to think that I'm up here teaching a Bible study is just incredible. It's God. It has to be God. There's no other way of explaining it. And so don't ever think that, that your life is wasted or that you can't do those things that God wants to do through you. No, he still wants to do them. Everything that you've lived, as bad as it's been, is for a purpose. I'm not making an excuse for sin. We made those choices. But now God wants to use it for good. He takes evil. What does he do? He uses it for good. So remember that. So until we uh, one day get our, our glorified body, that's pending, right? In light of eternity, in light of this beautiful promise that we've been given, let's live our lives for him. That's what Paul says in verse 9. Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Our target, while in these bodies, is to live a life of faith. That's the only way the word of God says that we can be pleasing to God, right? By faith. We need to be faithful to his word. We need to to faithfully follow what it says. We need to live it. We can't just say it. The Bible says, help me to be not just a hearer of the word, but be a doer of the word. We need to proclaim the gospel because that's the good news. That's what got us into eternity. I've always liked the analogy of of if you had a, a cure for cancer, would you keep that to yourself? I hope not, right? I mean, I think most of us would want the world to know, especially those that have suffered because of cancer through loved ones or maybe even perhaps through our own bodies. But we have that cure. We have the cure for sin. It's Jesus Christ. Let's not keep it to ourselves. You know, Ray Sedman told of the story of, of William Randolph Hearst. You guys all know who that is, right? You guys been to the Hearst Castle, some of you? Right, he's a, a newspaper tycoon who, uh, who owned Hearst Castle. It's now property of the state. He said that while Mr. Hearst was alive, he had one rule for his guest, those people that he invited to the, to the castle. And if this rule was broken, the guest would immediately be asked to leave the castle. You guys know what that, that rule was? The rule was that while in the property of the castle, you couldn't talk about death. Apparently, this tycoon was afraid to die. But he did. His riches, the the utopia that he set up for himself in in this world, it couldn't help him. Death caught up to him, and it's going to catch up to every single one of us. As Christians, we don't have to be afraid of death. Because we know that after death comes a real life. Amen? All right. So in closing, another story that I heard sums up, I think, our text today. It's about a man who was passing by a construction site for a church. It was a beautiful cathedral, wonderful stone and masonry work. And the man who was walking by noticed that this man was chiseling and carving the stone. The man looked up at the cathedral and he saw what it appeared to be a finished building. So the man asked the man who was busy working on the stone, Sir, what are you doing? 
I see you're working on this stone, and I mean, you're, you're going at it. And while this cathedral, the work that you've done is beautiful, I just don't see why you're doing this. It appears to be done. The man that was working on the stone pointed to the last place that the stone that he was working on needed to be uh, inserted into. And so he answered, I'm working on this stone down here so that one day it could shine up there. And I imagine that's what God's doing down here, guys. You know, he's working on us so that he could use us one day in heaven. Remember, that one day when we can no longer say that the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak because by then our bodies will be caught up with the spirit. We won't have those obstacles anymore. He's, he's using us. He's using our, 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 our bodies, our decaying bodies. He's doing something within us. Everyone hears something different so that one day he can use us up there. And that's amazing. That's amazing to think of as Christians, you know, to know that one day we're going to be in heaven with God for eternity. And you'll notice that I stopped at chapter or verse 9 because the next verse um, says, For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. That's a whole other story, a whole other uh, teaching. Um, real quick, you know, we're all going to be accountable for what we do. You know, as, as Manny has taught us, we're not going to have to face a white throne judgment because of the blood of Christ. But every single one of us is going to be accountable for the talents that we've been given. What do we do with them? Every single, everyone here has been given talents. I mean, I look around the room and I see them. You know, but did we bury them or did we use them? That's what we're going to be accountable for. Did we live by faith, which is the only thing pleasing to God? Or did we do things our way? question that only individually we're going to be able to answer before God. And so I pray that um, that we live, we live our lives the way God wants us to live it, by faith. In light of eternity that we're going to so gloriously be in one day. Amen? Alright, so I know that it was short. Like Richard says, that's it. Uh, <laughs> but um, I was blessed. I was truly blessed in, in just studying for this passage and you know, again, as, as men, you know, I would really, really encourage you guys to come out on Wednesdays because this is what we do. We go through passages like this and we talk and, you know, we debate sometimes, but it's all good. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, um, Lord, I thank you, Father, for your grace, for your mercy, Lord. Um, Lord, I fully recognize, Lord, that one day I am going to be accountable, Father, for everything, God. That, I, that I've done in this life, Lord, that I've done in this body. And so, Father, I thank you first for your mercy, for your grace, Lord. But I, I ask, God, that, Lord, you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. Lord, you say in your word, God, that we as wicked people know how to give good gifts to our sons, to our children, Lord. How much more you, being perfect, being good, will give us the Holy Spirit if we ask it. And so I pray, Lord, together we pray and we ask.